So good morning everyone and welcome to our bearing point talk here at the Impact Hub Zurich. My name is Thomas Krust. I'm leading our Swiss data analytics practice at Bearing Point and your host today. I would like to introduce you my two guests. Dan Christiansen is the CTO of Colibra, a data intelligence startup with unicorn status, focused on providing cloud-based data governance solutions to help clients to unlock and assure the value of their data. Stan leads the Colibra's product organization with the focus on driving innovation in data governance. Prior to co-founding Colibra, Stan was a senior researcher at the Rige Universität of Brussels, a leading semantic research center in Europe, where he focused on application-oriented research in semantics. Stan is a sought-after expert, industry speaker, and author on the topic of data governance and semantics. Jan Hendricks joined Bearing Point with his experienced data management team Impulse about a year ago. Jan is a highly rated analyst, consultant, speaker and author with more than 28 years of experience in the field of information architecture and information management. He has presented, moderated and taught workshops at many international conferences and user group meetings worldwide. Today's talk is called Accelerating your data-driven journey, the value of data governance. We will have a look at what makes data governance so important in today's data-driven world. I've collected a few figures to illustrate how impactful data governance is today and will be in the future. According to a current Gartner market analysis, the data governance and MDM market has a share of 1.4 billion US dollar and a forecast from another analyst report, Modern Intelligence expects that the global market for data governance will reach almost 4.5 billion by 2024. Reasons for the growth are the world's data volumes growing year over year by 40%, including the massive amount of data produced by IoT sensors, variables, remote monitors, and so forth. Additionally, there is also increasing number of regulatory and compliance mandates leading to a higher demand for data governance solutions and services. The market dynamics and strategic acquisitions and mergers have also created successful startup environment, while traditional MDM data governance solutions could not keep up with the high pace of data governance requirements from regulatory, for instance GDPR and compliance domain and at the same time including some innovative AI machine learning based technology. It's impressive what's going on in the data governance industry at the moment, and especially seeing Colibra being the leader in the market. Colibra has celebrated its 10 years anniversary last year in 2018. 11. <laughs> it's 11. <laughs> oh, it's 11, yeah. <laughs> so data governance is becoming prominent in the last few years, but it still remains an ambiguous term. Stan, let us start with you. Based on your experience, what does data governance consist of and mean for you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me over. Thanks for the introduction. And thanks for uh, joining the uh, audience. And as you said, we've been doing this data governance uh, stuff for 11 years, leading the market. And I find that it's not always easy to explain to people what it actually is, especially if you don't know the audience. But if I have to say it in one sentence, I always say that data governance is the control 
and the enablement. So, you know, control is more defensive, like GDPR or regulatory. You cannot do this with the data and enablement is more offensive. How can you get stuff done with the data? So the control and enablement of any and all data management activities. And data management is something that people know very well. It's the storing, moving, consolidating, and you know, doing something, reporting AI with data. So governance is a layer above that allows you to set up processes, like a business process, that makes the whole data management function easy. And nowadays in organizations, they're really looking at, okay, do we treat data as an asset? Uh, you know, we have the human asset in HR, the finance asset in, in finance. And now they're looking, okay, do we now have our data assets in a data office, for example, and how the practice, the discipline they bring, that's an example of what data governance is. Very good. Yeah, and from your point of view, what additional aspects add some complexity to the data governance topic? Yeah, all right. Thanks also for having me. And same thing, so thanks to the audience and whatever, right? Actually, when you look at data, they, not all data is created equally. And that's something to reflect upon, right? because if you went through the list of saying, yeah, there's growth in data, we've got sensor data, we've got IoT data, but we still have invoices, we have clickstream, and what you notice is that you can't just process all types of data in the same way. Some have to be handled in a much more conservative way. You really don't want to go back to your tax authority and say, oh, by the way, we lost a few invoices, but trust us, the numbers are okay. However, if you have some clickstream that you lose, it doesn't really matter. And that's something as a data citizen or a data user in, a, in an organization or more and more in an ecosystem, because I don't think companies can survive unless they operate together in, in larger clusters. If you don't have the ability to convey that what can be done and how it should be done without being a central organ, because then we can discuss data governance 1.0, 2.0, whatever, right? But, but making sure that people in organization, people in the ecosystem understand what the potential is, what can be done, if you think at it from an offensive point of view, but at the same time also what should not be done. And, and in society, people allow to survive because they know I'm not going to rob a bank if I need five Swiss francs, right? You don't do that. With data, it might not be the same thing because people don't really know what to do or not to do. Mm -hmm. To me, that is the essence of, of data governance, that is creating data literature, literacy in a way that you stay compliant, but also in a way that you don't miss opportunities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now that we know what data governance in the context is and what are kind of the challenges that we are facing or that you were facing when you were consulting your clients, Jan? There's multiple aspects to that because as I've been through this phase now, I, I started with data governance 0.001, right? So where we didn't really figure it out and we had long debates then if you still remember about what the definition should be and, and how we should do this. Over that period of 10, 15 years, you know, the problem is that you are at a certain point, you're unconsciously unaware and then you think the problem is defined in a specific way. But as you evolve and as your maturity increases, you realize that if you peel off a layer, you stumble onto the next thing. So to say, what is the biggest challenge going a little bit back towards today? I think there is quite some differences. The one thing that is still in common is, is the human element, because at the end of the day, it's still the, the coworker, the, the other company that touches upon the data that can do things or cannot do things. And you can have very long six, nine debates. And that's what we had in the first years. We spent days together with our clients, figuring out what is the definition of a client. What is the definition of a customer? What is the definition of a prospect, right? So that was, in the beginning, the biggest challenge. Do we all agree? And then we agreed and then nothing happened. So that was the, how do you make it into an action? That was our biggest challenge. 
I think today we're moving on to other things as we are moving into other territories with our data governance. We're more talking about, okay, I'm now faced with two billion data points. What do they mean? So uh, initially we were able to handle it in a human way with human interaction and actually doing stuff manually. I think right now the biggest challenge is to handle the tsunami, to actually catch up with that huge volume and trying to put some yeah, cognitive uh, AI aspects into it to keep the beast under control because our ability to create more data, to create new data points is much bigger than our ability to cope with it. There is also a very interesting law that I really like, it's called the preservation of misery. And the law of preservation of misery still makes that if you don't understand what a prospect is, you still can't do anything with your beautiful algorithm. So we're seeing new challenges because of the increase in volume. But at the end of the day, it still becomes a problem. What does churn really mean? What is a golden customer? So that base problem, we still have it. Mm -hmm. But now on top of it, we added an additional complexity of cloud connectivity, big volumes, trying to understand what the data is. Very good. And, and Stan, from from a technology point of view, what would be actually the answer to these challenges? So what were your past project experiences where you actually came up with very positive effect from the technology point of view? Yeah, well, like uh, Jan was saying, the challenges you see in the early days and that are still present, mm -hmm. oftentimes boil down to people problems, where leadership at first didn't realize, you know, how this data as an asset game actually works. So first, it wasn't a priority. Fortunately, now in many organizations, it's become a priority. But then you see that they're trying to solve different kind of problems in different ways. So for example, if you're more focused on self-service BI, people work around metric certification, right? So report certification, because they have a proliferation of reports and they're trying to reduce it, because otherwise, which one is the true report? So technology can help there, for example, in that process, in that consolidation. Maybe you're setting up a data lake and you know, your challenge is more trying to figure out what is inside of this data lake. So maybe your technical challenge can be solved by more of a catalog type of capability. Maybe you're, you're you know, in, in the context of what does prospect mean, what does customer mean. Maybe you just need to bring together people from different parts of the organization, you know, finance, sales, what have you. And you just need, a, for example, a workflow or a collaborative capability for them to work together nicely. Because people, you know, what they try to do, if you don't give them the, the systems and the tools, they try to solve it with Excels, spreadsheets, and meetings, and email. And that works to a certain degree, but it stops very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think over time, the technical challenge has become bigger. Because three years ago, everybody was talking about, you know, the big data, Hortonworks, Cloudera, Mapar kind of solutions, the Hadoop stuff. Uh, nowadays, all I see people talk about is cloud. So in the last three, five years, the data architectures are shifting enormously, but we haven't got even gotten rid of the legacy ones yet, right? The old ETL architectures are still there. Now we have Hadoop lakes on top of it, plus you have uh, cloud da data lakes on top of it as well. So the technical challenge has, has exploded enormously. Look at the number of you know, analyst tools that are out there, AI tools that are out there. There's easily hundreds of them. So people report, there's an MIT study, people report that there's more access to data, so that's good, people have more access to data. But all of a sudden, we're not able to learn 100 new tools or learn new architectures every three years. So it's really a people problem to just consume all this new technology 
because you have more access to the data over the last years, but people report also that they're less successful in actually getting something out of that data. And in my view, this will still be the biggest problem out there where technology can help to a certain degree. You know, if you have a collaborative platform like we're trying to put in the market, is that there's so many people who use data in their job and we call all of these people data citizens. And it's not just the data scientists or the data architects, but it's also the business analysts. So there's thousands and tens of thousands of people inside a company that you need to reach, that you need to make, as Jan said, data literate. It's the equivalent of teaching these people to read and write. Now you're just teaching them data, if you will. Mm -hmm. And to do that at volume, at scale, that's going to take a lot of time, mm -hmm. right? Because people need to learn those new skills. People need to change to those, you know, adapt their work environments to those new skills. And that's going to take a lot of time. So there's a big people problem. And as, as you all know, when you have such a people problem, technology can help to a certain degree. But at a certain point in time, you're reaching even a political problem, right? Because the organization is resisting to that change or the leadership is maybe mm -hmm. changing. Mm -hmm. So that then becomes a problem. And that you reach a level where maybe even technology cannot help you. If leadership doesn't accept it, you know, what will technology change? Absolutely. So we have heard there's a lot of market dynamics. Startups like your company has grown and there is a technology support in the back but the challenges are still actually increasing. They are still being mm -hmm. more and more. What would you describe actually what was the Colibra success in all this environment? Because of course there have been the IBMs and the SAPs in the, in, in the market. What was your, like the unique proposition that you were actually getting successful on the market? Well, I think there's many uh, factors that contribute to our success and, you know, we're still working on it, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm always careful to speak about success because we still have 10 years of work in this market at least. But I think what I've seen that the other companies do is that they build tools by engineers for engineers mm -hmm. in that data management layer. So let's say that, you know, I've built an ETL tool and the ETL tool is successful in the market. Now people are talking about data governance, so I'll just put an add-on on my ETL tool. But again, it's a tool built by engineers for engineers. Mm -hmm. So what you're not reaching the targeted people, the business, those data citizens, they will never adopt this because it's not solving their problem that they are having. Mm -hmm. And what we've done with Colibra is we've always focused on the business, of course, taking into account the collaboration with IT. So you need a little bit for both. But we've always focused on their problem. You know, how do you get ownership established into the business? And what do you need to get that done? And over time, that need has expanded, mm -hmm. right? So in the beginning, people were talking about critical data elements and a business glossary. Later, they were talking about stewardship management, issue logs. They were talking about reference data. They were talking about policies. They were mm -hmm. talking about business rules, data quality dashboards. When the, the whole data lake thing started happening, the catalog became more popular. So that's around 2014-ish, I would say. So we added the catalog capability. And then over the last couple of years, you've seen privacy become more and more important. Mm. So what, what Codibra has done successfully, I think, is always provide a solution to that need, but then realize that this is not a point solution that was needed. So we've established what we call our platform that allows us to capture the widest range of those capabilities. So the whole 
set of data citizens, again, which range from the chief data officer, data protection officer, data scientist, business analyst, data architect, and everything in between. And we have this platform that can cater to all of those personas' needs. And I think that's a unique proposition. Our focus on that business problem, mm -hmm. our focus on the scope of the business problem, and our technology platform that allows us to address the widest set of needs. So that you can truly have an enterprise platform mm -hmm. to build, if you will, those data citizens on. Very good. And Jan, I mean, you and Stan, you know each other quite a long time. Yep. And you worked and used uh, Colibra's products in several years. Can you elaborate on some client stories where you actually really successfully worked, co-worked together and uh, brought the challenge actually to a positive end? Sure. Yeah. And I just want to add on a little bit to what Stan was saying, eh, because yeah, technology is not the answer to all the problems unless the technology is replacing the problem. If you look at a self-driving car, you're replacing the problem. You don't drive anymore, right? The car drives. So in there, technology can be the answer. I don't think that in data governance, technology can be the answer. It will always stay at that level of an enabler because at the end of the day, if you don't want to let your company completely be run by computers, which I don't think anybody wants to do, it's always going to be a business problem. And that's, I think, where we've been working actually pretty much since day one, I think, yeah, to say, okay, it's a combination of a business problem with the data. And when you bring those two together, and that's also the DNA, I would say, of bearing point where we understand the business of the client and we also do it in a way that it doesn't become too academic, but in a very pragmatic way, take a smaller steps. Mm -hmm. And the successes I think we've had together, they have something in common, which is to say, okay, data is a verb. Why do I say that data is a verb? If you can't use it in your organization, if you can't make sense of it, if you can't apply it to a relevant use case, I guess that's also what you were saying a bit, Stan, where we saw the use cases evolve over time. I think the cases where we've been successful, and there have been a few in different industries, saying, okay, if you're a bank, what is your problem with data? The problem with data is that when you report to the regulator, yeah, the data pretty much wants to be correct. Because if you say, well, we have a guess on the risk-weighted assets, that's not going to put the ECB at ease, right? So it is, becomes a bit more a very stringent, you call, call that defensive. But at the end of the day, I also think that the term defensive is sometimes used derogatorily. Because if you can improve your risk-weighted assets by 50%, I mean, that's not, I wouldn't call that defensive. That even becomes offensive at that point of time. So I think there we had some cases where we worked in, in banking contexts, allowing the banks to say, okay, this is my regulatory reporting that I'm doing. Can I actually show that this data is correct? And that's very often even a story of not just one actor, but multiple actors putting it together. And it's not only a business problem and a technology problem, it's the strength of the two together. Right? So that's something that we really worked on together. Another one is also a bit more innovative, I would say, because sensors, yeah, th there's a lot of stuff coming up with IoT. But very interesting enough is that a lot of the IoT still relies at the end of the day on the electrician mm. that is putting the sensor in the machine. And oh, by the way, I'm in a manufacturing industry and the machine is actually 30 years old. What, how do I really know what is happening? Eh? So the more recent cases that we worked on together was more in industry context, where I'm trying to figure out yeah, what is the device doing? What is the sensor doing? And then it becomes not only a, how do I manage the magnitude of 50, 60, 200,000 sensors, but how do I really know what they are? How do I configure it? How do I maintain the configuration? And those are some, some interesting use cases where we didn't, we didn't do that five or ten years ago, right? It's, it's now emerging, but it's still a business problem because what do you put in there as a sensor? It's not about how many sensors you have. It's about finding the one that is actually a useful one. 
And there it comes back to offensive and having interesting combinations from a business point of view with the proper technology underneath and linking to the two because if it's just a business layer and you can't connect down into reality, when you go into the library, you go into the section which is called fiction. And that doesn't help either, right? So you can have the most beautiful business layer. If it cannot connect down to the reality, the physical stuff, it won't work either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Those uh, Internet of Things cases, we've seen them grow in the last couple of years, mm -hmm. for sure. Although people have been talking about the Internet of Things for a very long time. But organizations are still struggling because you're really facing those physical problems, you know, of battery, of connectivity and so on. So there's really a lot of organizations that are still on this Internet of Things journey. And it forces them to also deal with data where they're used to more physical assets. So that's going to continue growing, I think. And those are interesting cases to work with. Also, as an organization, you have to think about what you're then allowed to do. You can build up fantastic cases. But, you know, if you put a tracker in my shoe, for example, and you're tracking me all over, maybe I don't want that, right? Maybe as a consumer, I don't trust you as a company for you to keep track of my data because I don't know what you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that the things you are doing with it, whether they're, you know, whether I will like them mm -hmm. or whether they will violate my privacy, for example. Mm -hmm. We worked on a lot of cases in a lot of industries, uh, but another interesting one was in the telecommunications industry, you know, which, you know, was a very profitable industry, pay for every text message you send. But now they're being pushed down by the internet content companies mm -hmm. who are trying to make them into regular you know, managers of the internet pipes, right? So they're trying to push them down into the infrastructure layer. And uh, of course, the telecommunications companies are realizing this and they're figuring out how can we become more data-driven? How can we get value from data? So there we, s we had one initiative where, you know, to Jan's point, you want to start from a business problem, right? What are we trying to solve? And how can, you know, running data as a process solve this properly? You know, not just put a patch on top of it, but really figure out the problem and solve it. So there, there was a whole GDPR initiative, but the customer was smarter than that. They knew, okay, GDPR is not just yet another checkbox on my website that people have to check, but you really have to change things significantly in how you do data. And then they started with the GDPR case. We always, this is what we always recommend. Pick a first use case, three to six months, make that successful win the hearts and minds of a first batch of data citizens and then use that success to go on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And in that sense, data governance is an endless process in a way until it's business as usual. But then they moved from that more defensive GDPR type case into, okay, we also have a lake. How do we put controls around the lake? How do we get a catalog on the lake? So they moved from these different use cases. I think that's actually also the, the most important outcome of all these data governance initiatives, right? That you are actually moving into the data value perspective. Yeah. Can you actually also name few industries and, and cases where the adoption rate on those data governance, let's say, principles is uh, rather higher than lower? since? You worked in many industries, financial services and so on, but this is more the burden to run data governance and MDM initiatives, right? But who or which industry turns it around and creates uh, much more data and much more value out of it? Uh, I don't know if I can uh, chop it up by industry, right? Obviously, the, the high-tech companies are the ones that are most visible in making money off of our 
data, if you mm. will. Mm. And there was this news report, I think from this week, where the DMV, the registration in the US for driver's licenses, mm -hmm. uh, was actually selling their customers' data for $50 million per year or something. And then I'm thinking, well, that's nice, but that's also pretty cheap. Mm. If you look at how much money internet companies make of our data, it's a lot more than $50 million a year. We're talking about billions, rather. But interesting cases that I've seen, it can be quite ad hoc results. You know, one of my colleagues is always talking about a technology company, which is more known for its hardware rather than its software, but they're changing. And they put Colibra in place, they started on governance, and then they became more rigorous in their orders process. And they discovered, you know, when I first heard the numbers, I didn't believe it myself, but they essentially discovered hundreds of millions opportunity in unknown orders. Mm -hmm. But it seems funny, but if you have, you know, a $50 billion company, uh, maybe hundreds of millions can easily be commas that you yeah. that get lost somewhere along the way in the data, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I always like the stories better, where the numbers are not necessarily about money, although it can bring money, we've done studies around this, but where you measure it on the adoption rate, mm. and where people tell us, oh, we started with tens of users on the platform, you know, we had stewards, but then kept working, we kept adding use cases, and then the tens became hundreds and the hundreds became thousands. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are always the stories that I like best where our customers come back to us and say, okay, we now have thousands or tens of thousands of monthly active users on your platform. Because for us, that means that our message of the data citizen is actually working. So those are the stories that Thank I you. personally like best. Thank you. Moving from the current practices in data governance to future use cases, what innovations can we expect in the future? Stan, how much effort do you invest in innovation at all? And what are the next big things in the market to come? Well, you called Calibra a startup uh, earlier. I get a little bit annoyed by that because we've been doing it for 11 years when you stop being a startup or more a scale-up at this point, I would say. But despite that fact, Calibra is still massively investing in innovation. You know, a lot of our budget every year goes into R&D. And you can see that we talked about that earlier, you know, we started to be known as the market leader in data governance, glossary stewardship, we talked about that, then added catalog, and then added privacy. So it became a mouthful to say what Calibra was doing, we're the market leader in data governance and catalog and privacy. So in this year, Calibra is saying, okay, the space is actually changing, our category is getting bigger, and we're now calling it data intelligence. Mm -hmm. And with Jim coming on board, our new chief product officer, mm -hmm. he's also set up a vision for the next three to five years where he's really adding a lot of components from access mm -hmm. to a service broker and many other components. It, it takes about an hour to explain it, but I'd be happy to do so at another time, of course. Mm -hmm. So for us, we're continuing to see the opportunity in the market, like I said, for the, at least the next 10 years. And that opportunity requires a lot of investment innovation. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely continuing to invest. If I look at AI is of course important, automation. We've just added new capabilities in the software that allows you to quicker identify mm -hmm. what the data is about, for example, based mm -hmm. on this. But we don't necessarily like to you know, call it AI too much. We like to more focus on what is the feature and the benefit this mm -hmm. is bringing to the end user. Right. right? And AI is just facilitating this. Okay. But if you look at to the future, what else is potentially coming? There's this whole discussion around data valuation. How do you mm -hmm. put a dollar amount on data? There's this whole discussion around privacy and other techniques like homomorphic encryption, for example, mm -hmm. differential privacy, there's a lot happening there. 
And then one of my biggest interesting things for the future is how we are actually going to take care of this data ownership. Because data has this problem. Once you share it with somebody, you now have two copies, right? So you both have it, and it's in the other person's database. The other person is not the owner, but it is in their database. It is in their system. So how do you now protect this? You can put a legal framework around this, and they're trying this with GDPR and other things. But then there's also technology innovations happening mm -hmm. in the decentralized web, for example, decentralized technology coming out of the crypto space, which is a little bit of a weird space. Mm -hmm. But there's interesting things there happening as well that will give people more control over their data. But it's a 50-50 chance whether it will happen in the next 10 years, mm -hmm. so we'll see. Mm -hmm. And Jan, what's the bearing points effort to, let's say, increase data governance maturity for our clients? Well, actually, I think this also goes back to your first question about what industry. And I think if you look at industry, I would say it doesn't matter. Because what basically, if you want to use data as an organization, and I would actually turn it around, if you're not using your data as an organization, you're in trouble. So, so we're, we've come, I've been at this game now for 30 years, and I've been saying since 80-something, yeah, data is important, and nobody actually listened because we did all kinds of other stuff. Now we've come to the point where everybody realizes if you don't do data, then you have a problem, right? Because it's not so much more about the physical things, it's about how you do something with it and be intelligent about it. Now, the way I think the way that we've done it as, as bearing point is, is understanding that at the end of the day, data is a verb, which means that it becomes very industry specific. Because there to your question, what does it mean? Why is it in a specific industry going faster? Because sometimes the use cases are more specific. And, and I think this is where, as an organization, we know your business quite well as Bearing Point. We're organized around the in different industries. So we understand the industry problem, which means we can help you to find the verb, to find the use case that is relevant for your environment. The thing is, there's a very nice Chinese proverb that says that the front of the metal and the back of the metal are equal in size. So whatever industry you're in, you're going to also bump into the other problems of other people. Mm. So eventually you will do all the use cases. But that's the point to say at what speed do you go? What are the relevant things for you? And how do you increase maturity is what we've done is we've got now several years, 10 plus years experience in how to do this governance thing in an organization. We've got the jump start things, the what are the relevant use cases for you? How does it apply to an industry? So what we've done internally in Bearing Point is we've got our own data governance framework and we have all the different capabilities that are required because although Calibra is a great tool it won't solve all your problems. At the end of the day you still need a combination, a broader, a richer set of tools to solve the problem and that's what we've done, industry specific roadmaps and also small steps because I think that's another very important rule if you want to do data governance. If you don't have a party every three months you didn't properly think through your roadmap, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really having smaller successes, but also think big, because otherwise you have the risk of burning all your cash mm -hmm. on the first use case, and then data fatigue is going into the organization. Or what could also happen is that if you take up too much of the space, then, yeah, you carry the ball. And that's also what happens sometimes in organizations where they were too centralized, then it was very easy to have somebody else solve the problem. And the business basically said, oh, fine, you can sort that one out for me and then I can go back to do my own business. And that's the worst thing that can happen because then you even regressed on the entire thing because you have now two problems to solve. Explaining, yeah, that wasn't the answer mm. and then trying to sell the right answer, right? So that's, I think, where we step in as a consulting firm because we, we know typically your industry, mm. but also we know what the relevant use cases are and we also 
I mean, there are scars on the back because some of those stories, like you don't do this, well, I did them, right? So I tried them. <laughs> I can tell you they don't work. Uh, so we do have accelerators to, to actually speed up the process and make sure you don't have to make the same mistakes and get in a configuration. And, and that's also why we don't just know Colibra as a plain vanilla, but we also know how to configure it, which is the beautiful thing about the tool that you can actually tweak it to your own environment without getting into too much trouble, right? That Stan wouldn't recognize the tool anymore. I mean, this, we don't want to go there, but at least we can tweak it in such a way because it, it's still a very personal thing. And this is also the thing about data valuation. Mm -hmm. What is the value of data? And my favorite quote there is, what is the value of 42? And then when you look at the audience, there's half of the audience who looks at you like 42. Yeah, that's the thing after 41. And the other half of the audience will say, yeah, of course, it's the answer to all problems in the universe, right? So, and this is the thing also when you look at what is the value of data, if you can't contextualize it in a, in a company, then the value is zero. It's a negative value. Mm -hmm. So I would actually say there is no value in data. There is only value in your ability to use it. And that's something where I think it's a combination of a solution with a way of putting it in the organization. Yeah, fully agree. Fully agree. I think uh, too many people have underestimated, you know, doing stuff with data and putting resources on it and tools on it. But if their organizations are not doing something with it, then what is the point? Right. All right. Thank you very much. Now we would like to open the floor to questions from the audience on site and online. Please on site first. I'd be interested in more um, context around the leadership resistance. Why do you think was the resistance and what did you do? Well, uh, one of the reasons why we partner uh, with firms like Bearing Point is that we need, you know, Calibra is a software vendor, of course, right? So, of course, we talk to people at all levels in the organization and, of course, we convince them. But at a certain point in time, you meet leadership who is not aware of data, who is not digital ready. And there's MIT studies that show, okay, if you have a board who is digitally literate, these companies are more successful. They're capturing more of the growth that is happening. But then you have boards or leadership who is not digital ready. And how do you deal with them? Well, you sort of have to, either the board adds new people into the leadership that have that experience, or they work with uh, strategy consulting to help them get that insight. Because, you know, in the end you have to persuade those people that for the next three years, this is a good thing to do for your organization. You will need to go through some transformation. You will need to do some work. Otherwise, imagine trying to convince the blockbuster people uh, when Netflix wasn't around. You know, they were saying, oh, Netflix, that's not going to go anywhere. And what's happening now is that blockbuster went nowhere. And that's all because the leadership wasn't convinced of data, right? Wasn't convinced of the transformation that was needed. So to convince them, you have to show them cases from their industry. You have to show them things that went well. You have to show them the things that went wrong. Uh, you have to show them what it takes to get it done, both you know, in the, the three-year run, like how do you plan for this, as well as how can you get, like Jan was saying, how can you get parties every three months? Right? So how can you do smaller experiments that you know, can prove out in the organization, okay, this is working, let's do more, let's do more, let's do more. I haven't found a secret uh, silver bullet yet to convince leadership. We've often faced it that if we're not uh, able to convince even a chief data officer of the, the right way of doing this, because we've seen it now hundreds of times, right? And then we see them take the wrong start, then we just know where they're going to end. Sometimes we're unable to convince them, right? Sometimes they have political factors 
that prohibit them maybe by choice or, or not, that prohibit them from doing the right thing. And then three years in, they're going in, in the wrong direction. We try our best, but we're always seen as biased, of course. So I hope this helps answer your question a little bit. Yeah, but, but to that, I think there is, there's a few problems because first of all, this is not something you can just do in three months, yeah. right? Because it, it really means a, a transformation of an organization. And if leadership, typically they have only three things in mind every year, which is normal because as top leadership, you cannot handle 25 things. You need to focus on a few things. So the point is, how do you keep that data on the agenda for three, four, five, six years? And that requires to me a CIO, a chief importance officer. <laughs> and how do you have somebody at the board that understands that data is important? Uh-huh. It doesn't care about the title. That, that's the first problem, right? So to keep it beyond that first or the second year. Yep. And the second problem is there was a study done by Harvard. If you look at the C-level understanding of strategy, when you go level, one level down, you reach pretty much 50% of comprehension of what they really want to do. If you go one more level down, you go to 10%. And when you look at data, data touches the three layers because it has a strategic point, Blockbuster versus Netflix. It has a tactical one because you can't be bothered at the C level to go out with the organizational details. And then it has an operational level because if you still type it in wrongly, it doesn't work. So those two things combined make this a very interesting exercise and why we're not done with data governance for the next 10 years because those three dimensions need to be balanced and need to be figured out. Exactly, and that's why a partner like Bearing Point is so important because it's not just a strategy consulting. You know, here's your 200-page PowerPoint deck and then uh, the leadership is left, how do I now do this, right? They always uh, say good luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you actually, to Jan's point, you need it at all the levels How do you implement this? How do you now make this happen inside the organization? And that requires more than just having the top level interest. I I work in the banking industry and I think what you see a lot is still the very basic problems, as you said, Jan. So you have different core banking systems, you have different risk systems Mm. all over the world, you have a very fragmented system landscape. And for compliance reasons or regulatory reasons or to get more data inside, you need to put this all together. And then you come back to the very basic question, what is actually a client? Because you have different definitions in different parts of the world in different systems. So how can technology help resolve this better than endless you know, data dictionaries mm-hmm. updated every day? Let's look at what people have already tried for this thing, right, for this problem. Because let's be honest, this problem is not going to go away. Even if you have a CEO in this bank who says, let me get rid of all my systems and replace them by one big system. And then, you know, in this one system, everything is going to be the truth and that's going to be our own system. Then the bank merges with another one or buys another one and you have the same problem all over again. So what people have tried to do in the past is they've tried to make, you know, let's get at least all the data in one place. Right, let's put it in a data warehouse or let's now put it in a data lake, potato, potato, right? But they've always tried to say, okay, let's put all data in one place. But this one place seems to be a mythical beast, much like a unicorn, right? It's like there always turns out to be multiple places, right, that the data sits inevitably. You know, if you have a data warehouse, you have 10 data warehouses if, and then you have five data lakes. And then they've also tried to capture it or solve it at another level. They've tried to say, let's have an enterprise conceptual model or an enterprise logical model that connects to all these physical places that we have. You know, let's have 
one definition for what customer actually means or what have you. You know, let's have a single version of the truth. I think that's like Don Quixote hunting for windmills or looking for the Holy Grail. There is no single version of the truth. What I think you can achieve in organizations and what Calibra focuses on is you can have a single version of trust. Maybe the, you know, the number is the most trusted correct number that you can get. You know, th this is the amount of customers we have. This is the amount of risk we have. And the way you got to that number, there's process controls all over the map. So this is the best, most trusted number that you can achieve in the organization. Because in the end, let's be real, you know, sometimes customer just means different things in different parts of the business. For a support person, customer means something different than for a salesperson. And it's okay, you know, words can have different meanings. As long as we know the commonalities and the differences, as long as we can understand each other and know which context we are working in and the data that you are giving me is coming from that context, as long as I'm able to understand that business context. Yeah. And very last question, please. Maybe just to, a very short thing to that, I will try to give you, keep it brief, but the description of your environment, it reminds me a lot of Blockbuster. So that's the first thing to think about. Because there is Netflixes around if you're a bank and you still try to do that. That's probably not what you want to do. So are we solving the right problem? And the second thing is that, indeed, having everything only once doesn't make it correct. It's called spelling mistakes, right? And, and that, that doesn't, that's not an objective. So the objective should be indeed what is data service and what is the quality of service that is required for a data service. And where it comes from, I don't really care. What is important is that it has the level of trust that is required for the action that you're taking. And yeah, you can say, yeah, there might be a level of fuzziness, not if you report code app, right? There is no fuzziness in that one, or otherwise you have some explanation. So that's the understanding of what level of fuzziness is acceptable for what data point and then the second part becomes then more of a data engineering question. Where do I get it from? How do I do it? Because putting it in one place, keeping it only once, yeah, it used to work if you had a gold treasure. You can put it in one place. You know where it is. Data doesn't act that way, right? There is no Fort Knox for data that doesn't work. So understanding that it becomes a more broader, more fluid thing, and you have to manage the level of fuzziness for each data point, that's essentially what it's about. And then you can have your engineers come up with, because. Face it, right now we're talking about cloud, maybe in five years it's going to be something else. <laughs> it will be something else, right? It, it has to be something else. But the problem ha will not change. It will still be what is the fuzziness on that data point. So reframe the problem. I'm working in a reinsurance company and what we are going through is the uh, kind of centralization of the data governance. So we have local governances in different areas. So we are trying to establish close collaboration and we have a new or we will have on board new chief data officer. Now, I have seen it many times failed, the process of establishing the governance or what I've seen, there are certain small changes here and there, but in our organization, we really fail to establish something like a framework, common, big, and it takes always long time. So what I struggle is, I don't know how, to, how you tackle that or you've seen it in other organizations, so it takes time, it takes a lot of money, it's a process of transformation when you set up processes, it requires changes in different areas and people are usually risk averse or kind of 
the change is sometimes painful. So what is your experience? How do you kind of sell it to the management and to the people so they buy in, they are really on board, they are engaged? So what is your experience? That's my first question. And mm -hmm. if I may second, it's very interesting what you said, because we really struggle with this standardization or have a common terms, like if mm -hmm. we say client or partner, I actually see really we have a lot of struggles because people in different areas mean in different contexts, but they s use the same uh, standard names. And I actually don't see this as a good practice. I would rather have really like if we tell client, we tell client all over the company, mm -hmm. if you need something different, name it differently. But please do not use client for different contexts because it creates a lot of ambiguities. So these two questions. That's true. The, the last question is a hard one, right? Because that requires a certain level of discipline for everybody to use a certain terminology in a certain way. That requires a level of discipline and a level of you know, time to just have all these people adopt it, right? You need to train people to use the right words, if you will. And that takes some time. But in general, and to your first question as well, the way we approach it is look at, to look at, at everything through the lens of communities, lines of businesses, work groups, project teams. These are all communities working in their own context. And in that context, they have a certain you know, terminology, vocabulary that they're using. And then you can have more local communities, like at, at a country level or line of business level and more enterprise or federal, whatever you want to call them, communities. And sometimes there's overlap, right? Sometimes you're talking about client and you're actually meeting client at the enterprise level versus at the local level. And then, you know, you can have processes in between that says, okay, this term doesn't need to be defined locally. We need to move the process up to the federal level and we need to agree there. But in the end, the communities also have a certain goal, right? They're trying to get something done. So we're coming back to what Jan was saying, you know, if you're trying from the enterprise level, push something down that offers no value to the local levels, you're always going to hit resistance. But there has to be something in it for them. And the other way around as well, right? Why would the enterprise bother with a local problem? So you have to find some common ground there, some common challenges you can solve. And that's relatively easy as a process. You look at all the problems that are out there, list them, you know, rank them by value and priority and low-hanging fruit and so on, and then focus on these first. The answer to your second question is in the first question. There's an interesting paper, it's already relatively old, from, from Rosenweil about process optimization, and it talks about the level of standardization and the level of integration you want. And those two axes are the only ones that will steer you. Because do you have to agree on everything? Obviously not. Because some things need to be unified, some stuff can be coordinated, other stuff can be completely diversified, and in some cases you replicate. So that's how you handle your... Because there's always a local speech community. If you take the Webster dictionary, unfortunately, after the word bus, there are seven definitions. And that will still be there in 7,000 years. It will still be more than one definition. So it's just normal that you have for one thing multiple meanings. The question is, does it hurt? And that goes back to your first question, how do I keep it going? And the answer to making sure that you get started and you're on the right way and you're using the level of integration and standardization that is appropriate for your activity becomes what is the business problem that you're trying to solve? So what is the business use case? And if you can answer the business use case, you can then say for that business use case, this is the level of dissonance I can approve, I can agree with. So that will drive, and that, that's where the tool helps you great because the tool and I don't want to go into semantical speech community, yeah, right? No, We've been there, eh? so we don't go back that far. But when you look at a community and a layered level of communities that can 
inherit from a layered approach, the tool does that perfectly. But your question starts at the business. What level of really standardization do I need? What level of integration do I need? Goes back to your question about banking. What do I have to be as a bank if I do PSD2, right? So it's, everything is driven from your business problem. And then you keep the attention, you have the parties, and you know to what level of harmonization you are going to be pushed. And that's a business decision. And that's the structure you need to put in place. Very good. Thank you very much. Just to summarize, so clearly, Data governance is not just a matter of complying to certain policies or regulations. Adopt it thoroughly and wisely. It helps your organization more, being more data-minded, and also helps to better fulfill upcoming data regulations more effectively. However, actually achieving it in practice turns out to be quite a difficult, uh, more than difficult than anticipated. So thank you, Stein and Jan, that you were with us today. It was a great pleasure and very insightful to discuss with you. Thanks a lot to the audience for listening in and have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.